Has it sound all right? Yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to make a we're going to make a start on the old um, to share a message now from the Bible. Uh, I'm going to pray just to ask that God would help me speak it and would help you to get something from it. So, Father, we just thank you for the Bible and um, thank you that it's one of the ways that you've revealed yourself to us. And um, thank you that although it was written by men, they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And although it was written by people in a certain time and in a certain culture, it transcends time and culture. And we thank you for the eternal truths that are in the Bible from you. And we pray that, Lord, they would, um, those truths from you would penetrate um, people's hearts today and bring amazing change. Amen. All right, I've called this message Jesus Christ and the End of Hostilities. And my aim, really, in terms of where, where is this going, what's the purpose of tonight's talk, is to show you that hostility, um, division, relationship breakdown, war and the like, in our world are inevitable, but not incurable. That's where we're going to go. So, relationship breakdown, everything from divorce to uh, falling out with friends um, to international, you know, large-scale um, troubles and wars, all of those things are inevitable, um, but not incurable. So, it's a message which is uh, sober, but filled with hope. Um, and as a springboard, I'm going to use a situation that happened in the Bible, in a, in, and we find it in a book of the Bible called Galatians, which sounds kind of mystical, and like, whoa, what does that mean? All it means is this, is that there was a place in, in southern Turkey in those days called Galatia, and the people that lived there were called Galatians. So that was it. So Paul, Paul wrote to them, uh, and it's a letter specifically for them, and so the letter's called Galatians. And I just wanted to give you a bit of background before we read the, the scripture. Here's the situation, he... Um, the Apostle Paul, St. Paul, however you might have heard of him, he travelled through this area starting churches, but they were very unusual churches in those days because the congregations were not made up of Jews. They were made up of non-Jews or Gentiles, which in those days were very unusual. See, in those days, Christianity was really seen as an extension of Judaism, and it was really Jewish people were the believers. And so it was a remarkable thing that happened, even for someone like Paul who was a Jew, to tell Gentiles about Jesus... And really, you know, imagining that they would come to know Jesus was a remarkable thing. Because people thought of it, this is a Jewish thing going on here. Anyway, lots of these Gentiles became Christians, turned to Jesus, and so Paul started churches and moved on. Once he moved on, some Jewish believers came, and uh, they, they met these Gentile Christians, but they had a lot of issues with them, lots of controversy. Number one, they noticed that they weren't sticking to the Jewish dietary laws. They're thinking, you've become, a, you've become a Christians, you're following the Christ, and um, he was a Jew, Jewish Messiah, Jewish, and you're not, you're not doing the Jewish thing, you're, you're eating the pork, and you're, you're doing this stuff. So they had an issue with that. Secondly, and don't ask me how they knew, but they had an issue with the fact these guys didn't get circumcised. I don't know what went on, but they, they somehow realised, I don't know. But, and they had a big issue with that, because for the Jews, you see, it, circumcision is an outward, uh, an outward sign, really, of the fact that you have become a Jew. It was, it's a massive deal. Um, in that culture and in, in, in the Judaistic faith. So that's set, and, that, and the Jewish logic was this, you're following this Jewish Messiah. You say you follow Jesus, he lived under the law and he did. He was circumcised and he was. He was a Jew through and through. And he, yeah. 
you're saying you're following him and you're doing none of those things. You're not really in. You're not really, you're not fully there. It's great you've accepted Jesus, but you need to now sort out your diet and get circumcised. If you want to be really saved, really part of God's people. So Paul gets wind of this and writes a letter back to them, basically saying, not the case. Yes, Jesus is Jewish and was a Jewish Messiah, but he's the saviour of the world. And God doesn't save people or rescue people on the grounds of whether they eat certain foods or not or get circumcised. He rescues people because they need rescuing. And someone who needs rescuing is not in a position to do lots of efforts to get saved. They just need mercy. If you're sinking and you need saving, it's no good someone saying to you, well, if you can just, just pull yourself out a bit, do a few, you know, if take, you know, just try a bit hard. That, if you need saving, you need someone to just pull you out. And Paul's logic is, is, no, to be saved is to be rescued. To be saved is to, just, is to receive mercy. And this is what Jesus has done. Now stop, stop putting up walls between you and the Gentiles and just acknowledge that we're all in the same boat, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you've been circumcised or not, eating certain foods or not, we need saving, which we're going to get to later. And Paul said, so, so that the whole thrust of Paul's letter is, no, Jesus has broken down those walls of division. And Paul sums it up with one sentence, which we're just going to read. It's going to come up on the projector here. My ears don't get in the way. Is it, uh, <laughs> look, I'll, show you, I'll show you what I mean. Yeah? So, so here's how he finishes it up. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. You can look this up in a Bible in your own time. He says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. A Greek was a common term for a non-Jew. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one... In Christ Jesus. That's Paul's argument. That's what Paul was saying. Now, Paul chose three categories there. He could have chosen any number. But the point is this. In Christ, somehow, in Christ, those things which we tend to put up to make divisions between us are broken down. And we're going to look at that, really, in the first part of the message this evening. Okay, this can go off now. Thank you. Here's my observation. People love creating categories. They love classifying and building categories and saying, I'm here, you're there, I'm in this thing. You're, especially if the category they can get in is the better category. Yeah? Especially if they can be in the group that's, you know, so people with ginger hair, why is it, why is it they've never got ginger hair? It's strawberry blonde. <laughs> or African sunrise. Or whatever, you know, it's different. It's never, why? Because if you're in the ginger gang, you're part of the persecuted minority. <laughs> exactly, I know. Yeah, but what you, you see? So people say, "No, I'm not. No, I'm not in that. I'm not. In, I'm in the strawberry blonde thing. I'm being light-hearted." But uh, you find it happening also on quite serious levels. You find it happening. Um, I say racism is a, is, a, is, a, is a massive one. Where I grew up, there were very few people in my school that were from Asian or African descent. Very, very few. I was brought up in a very bizarre place called Slade Green. Anyone ever heard of it? Yeah. Really. Yes, iffy, right? But you, you got into an argument or a slaying match in school uh, with someone from that descent, the first thing always to come up was your skin colour. Why? Because it was, they were a minority. It was different. It was different. You see? And people love. People feel secure if they're highlighting someone else's differences or someone else's perceived flaws. People feel, and that's what the heart of bullying is highlighting something about someone so that the focus goes on to them so that no one notices your flaws. You ever notice the bullies aren't perfect? Yeah? Let's, quick, let's focus it on that one, and then I can feel, well, I'm in the in thing. Okay, right, we can all turn it against right. There. 
That's what people are like. People tend to do this kind of stuff. And we love to create these things. You find it with um, boys are better than girls. <laughs> girls are better than boys. Famous playground mantra. I remember it. Charging around the playground. Big, big deal. It's a ridiculous thing. It's a, I mean, you can't... Where's that argument going to go? But it's a, oh, boys... Isn't it funny that it's never the girls that say boys are better than girls? And it's never... It's, yeah, it's never the boys... Why is that? Because it's not about who's best. It's about... Me. It's about, I'm, no, I'm in, I'm in the best category. It's just something about us. Even families. Families with the same genes, the same history, the same culture, even look the same, manage to fall out and not talk for years. Yeah? Because of what happened at Christmas two years ago. Create this thing. No, but you did that. I would never do a thing like that. And they only meet at funerals. And they haven't seen each other for ten years and just stand next to each other and wait for the service to be over. How does that happen? What is that? People are experts at Dividing, fracturing, creating categories and happens all the time on massive scale. Georgia, Russia, the Balkans, all these things. Massive scale, but happens right down zoomed in as well. Marriages, families. It's humanity. Why? Well, I'm going to make a massive statement and spend the rest of the message backing it up. Here's the massive statement. Every international crisis, war, social schism, family feud and falling out of friends, boil down to the same thing. At the individual level, we are fractured from God. That is the answer that the Bible gives. And therefore, we create fractures wherever we go. Okay? So there's been a, the Bible teaches that there's been a, a vertical fracturing. Okay? So we are separated, there's a division, a wall between us and God. As a result, we create walls. Don't you think, man, that's a massive statement. You, you better be able to back that up. I know, and that's what I'm going to do. So... And the doors aren't locked. <laughs> Here's the logic. The logic is this, is that we're created for a relationship with God. The Bible teaches that. What am I made for? To know him. To be in relationship. Not for religion, okay? But to know him, genuinely. When I say no, you might think, is, does he, what is he actually saying? I'm actually saying no. Not just know about, know some facts, to be in a real relationship with God. The Bible teaches that's what we're made for. That is the reason, the, 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 the climax, really, of our existence is to actually be in a real relationship with him. Um, with that fractured, we are fundamentally out of kilter, off-centred, if you like. And what you then find is, if that is true, then fractured and off, out of kilter and off-centred people create the same kind of thing wherever they go. They tend to, um, it's almost like the ever-increasing circles when a stun goes into a pond, you know. The initial thing happens and it creates knock-ons and repercussions. We fracture over race and culture, don't we? For Paul, it was Jews and Gentiles. What is it for us? What is it for you? I don't know. I don't know your racial, ethnic background. I was in Westminster Bridge yesterday. Massive protest by the Tamils. No, saying the, the, the Sri Lankans are killing our people, genocide. The, the hatred, the tension in the air was actually quite scary. I had my five-year-old son with me. I wanted to hold him close. Like, Man, it, could, it felt like it could kick off at any minute. You could feel the hatred. Huge uh, uh, tension over these things. You find it. Georgian, Russian, Chinese, Japanese, still, still wound up about the Second World War, Serb, Croat, English, German. There's one that just seems to just keep going on. We are experts at racial tension or racial segregation. Uh, the best we can do is racial toleration, racial tolerance. Okay? It's like, oh, we're tolerating one another. This is amazing. Cross-cultural love, interracial love, you don't see much of that about. Let's just be honest. We fractured over it. Nations rewrite their own histories, covering over the atrocities they've committed. 
painting themselves in a better light. And if it's not all-out war, very often there's silent hatred bubbling away under the surface. So we're fractured over race and culture. We're fractured over status. For Paul, it was slave or free. No, officially we don't have slavery in our nation, so it's not so, so clear-cut. But maybe it's when you, um, you ignore the big issue salesman. Well, because everyone else does. I don't want to buy it, so I won't even say no thanks. Well, they're just as much as a human as you. Have you ever been ignored? Horrible, isn't it? But we do. Or the guy stands up on a tube and says, can anyone spare some change? You just turn your iPod up. The other day, <laughs> I went on a journey. I knew the address of where I had to go, but I didn't know where it was. And I didn't have time to Google it before I went. And I thought, I think it's SW1. So I just jumped on the tube. It's a bit nutty, really, but I thought, I've just got to get there. Time is against me. And I thought, well, I'll get on the tube and I'll ask the boss someone's A to Z. Easy enough. Everyone's always got A to Z's on them in London, tourists. So I, I, I'm on the tube, and I just walked through the carriage saying, hello, have you got, can I borrow an age? And I thought, why is everyone ignoring me? This is bizarre. Now, I have been, um, I have been confused for a homeless person a number of times. <laughs> I, have. I have. And you're laughing because you think, yeah, I can see why. Okay? I know. It's something about the, I don't know what it is, okay? But it's happened a number of times. It's quite funny, and I'm happy to laugh about it. But <laughs> I, thought, I thought, surely that's not the case. That's, that's not what's happened here. And I went, I've got, I'll go to the next carriage. It was just a coincidence. So, next carriage, I thought, they'll have an A to Z. No one had an A to Z, and everyone, everyone seemed to be deaf. I was amazed. Everyone's deaf on this train. This is amazing. They're not even talking to me. And, uh, and then I was standing there thinking, well, I don't know how I'm going to get to this place. And this guy comes up to me, and he says, he says uh, did you need some change, mate? <laughs> and I thought... You all made your assumption that I stood up on a tube, bit of a stubble, you know, jeans hanging off him. We know what this guy's about. So what did they do? Switched off. Well, even if he didn't want to give me some money, he still could have said, sorry, mate, but, you know, have a good day. But we, do, we fracture over state. We, we, we create our own understanding. Sometimes we look down on others as if we're better than them. Other times we look up to others as if they're better than us. And it's, it's all just weird. Why? Who's better? Who's worse? Where do you get these classifications? Over class. People judge homeless people. You don't know what they've been, you don't know what brought them there. I, I had a um, bit of breakfast at McDonald's with a guy called Jimmy I met the other day. He just, big issue salesman, lovely guy. He got his hand caught in a circular saw 10 years ago. If you've ever seen a circular saw, it's a frightening thing, electric thing. Got his hand caught in it. And just a skilled tradesman, skilled, skilled man. And just unable to work ever since. You just, oh man, you know, and you can make your judgments and stuff. But, but people judge rich people as well. So that's all right for them. Silver spoon in their mouth, born with us. You know, all of that. You know, you might see someone rich, you don't know. Maybe they've just lost the person most precious to them who happened to leave them a massive inheritance. But given the choice, they would give that million, those millions back in a second to have the person back. You don't know. But you can judge and make your assumptions. We, we do it all the time. We fracture over gender. Exploiting the woman's beauty by looking at porn. God, my women just, they're, they're so beautiful. They are amazing. But we exploited constantly on every magazine rack. Impregnating the woman and then leaving it to her to make the decision to keep the baby or not without so much as the promise of faithfulness. What is that? It's just totally degrading. It's telling the man he's no longer able to lead his home, be strong, protect women. No, because you do that. That's chauvinistic. That's antiquated. That, don't do that stuff anymore. Tussle and fight for equality, male and female. The only way we know how to do it is by pushing ourselves forward. It just creates more and more pain. 
we fracture out on these things all the time. We don't always talk about them. So you think, mm, you know, but they're there. Paul's claim is that Jesus Christ cures all of these ills at the heart level. That's his claim. So in order to demonstrate that, I want to take you on a journey, first to you, then to Jesus, and then finally to world peace. How good does that sound? All right? I think, man, this guy's an idealist. Well, we'll see. The heart of the problem. Point number one, there's three points. Point number one, heart of the problem, you. Me. Ourselves. That's the heart of the problem. I want to argue that. Um, we love blaming others. I love blaming others. Not, not, it's not premeditated, but if I walk down the stairs and I tread on a bit of Lego and I'm in pain, what's my first thought? Who left that there? <laughs> Rather than, why didn't I see that? Yeah, we love to blame. We've always got reasons why, wow, oh, this, is, this is why I'm like I am. <laughs> it's never, <laughs> you notice that? It's always, it's always a reason. Oh, you didn't see what they did to me. We're experts at doing that. With the uniqueness of the Christian message is it won't let you do that. It won't let you do that, which explains its lack of popularity, but also explains its effectiveness when understood properly. The Christian message highlights our own individual sin, and thereby averting our gaze, for a moment at least, from the sins of others. So we get to deal with ourselves first and get to, fight, get to work on ourselves. Um, it opens up the way so that we can start to, as Jesus put it, remove the log from our own eye, before we're trying to remove the specks from others' eyes. We're experts at removing specks from others, aren't we? You sit on telly, oh, George Bush. You try leading the most powerful nation in the world when two aeroplanes get <laughs> flown into the Twin Towers and kill 3,000 people. How do you respond? I'm not a Bush fan. I'm, not, I'm pretty apolitical, to be honest with you. But I'm saying it's easy to just sit there and just... It's too easy. It's too easy. Oh, I know what's wrong with the world. It's the move garbage of this. Well, maybe. Maybe it's you as well. Maybe it's me as well. And I want us to ask the question tonight. I want us to dare to look inside our own hearts. Because what, what do you find when you look inside your own heart? Well, it's not all bad. Absolutely. But there's a lot of bad in there. You find a lot of selfishness, a lot of greed, a lot of lust, a lot of anger, a lot of manipulation, a lot of arrogance and pride very often, a lot of prejudice, a lot of bad attitudes. And how do we respond? I mean, how do you respond? If you even dare to go that far and see that, how do you respond? Well, we tend to either drink it away or smoke it away. The, the, the discomfort that we feel when we see ourselves or we um, shop it away, spend it away, dance it away, sex it away, or joke it away. If none of those things work, we comfort ourselves with the thought where we're not as bad as so-and-so. <laughs> yeah. If all else fails, we're not as bad as so-and-so. God, you should see them. This tends to be the way that we uh, respond to this. But it's a false comfort. All those things are false comforts because they don't bring any change. They don't deal with the heart of the problem, which is, like I said earlier, we're fractured from God. That's like we are what we are. That, is, that explains why we are what we are. You might think, this sounds so simplistic. It's actually not that complicated. It isn't a complicated thing, but it's kind of, it can be hard to swallow because you think, man, this doesn't sound too good initially. So why are we estranged from God? Fundamentally, it's down to a guy called Adam, who a lot of people don't believe him anymore, um, but there you go. (laughs) We can do that in another sermon. (laughs) We can do the evolution thing one time if you fancy it, it'd be fun. But Adam, the Bible teaches, is is the man that God set up as the representative for humans. You know, he said, you represent humans. You are their federal head in that sense. It's kind of like, I don't know, if 
if, if Gordon Brown declared war on the USA, we would all suffer for it. <laughs> Why? Because he represents us. Yeah? No one is out, out of... We're, you've got, everyone is an identity, uh, is a citizen of a, of a nation. Likewise, when God created humankind, he created Adam and said, you, are, you represent those. Adam, Adam disobeyed God. God didn't give him loads of rules, just one rule. He said, do what you like, have a great time. Just that one tree. Don't eat from that one tree. The tree was called the knowledge of good. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what it represented was this: if you ate from it, it represented that you. I want to make the decisions about what's right and what's wrong. I don't need God to tell me what's right. I want to do it myself. And so when he did that, God was explicit: don't do that because when you, the day you eat of that, you're going to die. Disobeyed God, and, uh, and and fell and took us with him. As a result, we're born. We're born sinful. Now, what I mean by we're born sinful? Am I saying? Am I saying we're born horrible? No. I've got children who they're just, oh no, you should see them, they are delightful. They are delightful. Okay? So it's not saying that people are born horrible, but we're saying simply this, we're born with a bentiness just away from God. We just want to do our own thing. Yeah, that's, that's the biblical definition of sin. We just want to just rather do our own thing, thank you very much. <laughs> the considering you was made for relationship with God and, and to walk with him, that is, that's, that's kind of perverse. But it seems normal, it seems like well, it's just what we do, yeah. But actually, if you, if you embrace the truth that you were made to know him, that's, that's way off, okay? So it's, it's kind of Adam. You see, that's not fair, is it? Well, Adam, what, what have I got to do with Adam? Well, we're also accountable for our own sins, you see. We're also moral, we're also morally responsible beings, and, and we, we, we make our choices. You do what you do because you choose to do it. Yeah? We're not primarily creatures of... Uh, Logic, but primarily creatures of lust. We do what we want to do. We desire. We follow our desires. And so when we do these things that, that are wrong and we go against our conscience, we ourselves, it's us that are, that are sinning. So here is really the heart of the issue. It's Adam and it's us. So more than Hitler, more than Bush, more than Mugabe, it's Adam and it's you and me. And uh, we need someone who's going to undo the problem of Adam and undo the problem of you and me. Which gets us to point number two, the heart of the matter, the cross. We're going to go to the cross. You ready for this? Many of our, this will be a little bit controversial, but, you know, that's okay. Many of our problems with Jesus stem from lumping him and his religion together with the other major world religions and viewing them as essentially the same thing. Now, let me explain. You have the fourfold path of Buddhism. One of, one of, the, you know, one of the elements of that is that you don't harm any living creature. That's the sort of essence of Buddhism. It's, it's love and peace. And then you have the five pillars of Islam and, you know, one of those pillars being care for the poor and just this sense of, you know, live, live a good life. And, and you have the Ten Commandments and, you know, there's, do not steal, do not commit adultery. And, it, and then you have Jesus, who is, love your neighbour. Now, you think, well, they're really saying the same thing. They're, they're much of a muchness. Sure, it's like, well, we've got, you know, don't do any harm for the Buddhists. You know, the Muslims are looking after the poor. Jesus is a yeah, good Samaritan. It's the, same, it's, the same, it's the same idea in a nutshell. Here's the question, why the cross? That's the, okay, if the, if the heart of Jesus' mission was his teaching, love your neighbour, why the cross? Surely Jesus could have just done his teaching, got married, had kids, and just been the all-round best husband-dad example that's ever lived. Yeah, he'd just been amazing, wouldn't he? You can imagine, he could have written loads more books, and people would have, he was an amazing dad as well. You know, and it, it just could have been, one, you think, why, why the, well, people often say, well, it's just a tragic accident, it's just a tragic thing that happens, like Jimi Hendrix, he, you know, another brilliant man who died young. Yeah, he's, another, he's just a, another one of those. 
It's another Kurt Cobain. It's another, it's another Heath Ledger. Just amazing, amazing talent. Brilliant. But just died. Just, uh, you can't, it doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because Jesus orchestrated his own crucifixion. He predicted it. And he, he said it's going to happen in Jerusalem. And then he went to Jerusalem. And then when he got there, he said, oh, one of you is going to betray me. Then he said to Judas, go and do what you've got to do. He orchestrated the whole thing. You think, so you're saying it's deliberate? Yeah, it was absolutely deliberate. So why? Why die on a cross? I want to put to you that the heart of the Christian message is not love your neighbour, it's the cross. That's what it's about. What if our core problem of what I've called sinfulness is so deeply rooted that no amount of teaching will deal with it? What if God's righteous anger was so inflamed by the things we do wrong that atonement was needed. What's atonement? It basically means making amends. We're familiar with the concept. Someone had to make amends. What if? What if our backbiting and our name-calling, our gossip, our slander, our lust, our stealing, our manipulation, our idolatry, what if all of those things um, are infinitely more serious than we realise and require retribution? Now, at this point, you might think, retribution, that's a bit primitive. Retribution? I don't like retribution. You probably do like retribution. Most people don't like retribution until the paedophile gets arrested. Then they like retribution. Yeah? Or they don't like it until their nan gets mugged. Then they like retribution. Okay? When they go and visit their nan in hospital whose house was broken into, her stuff was uh, robbed from her, and she was beaten up for no purpose as well, and her face is a swollen mess of bruising. Then people want retribution, don't they? Yeah? Because suddenly you want someone to pay for what's happened. It's not, the problem isn't that we don't like retribution, it's this. We don't like the idea of being on the receiving end of it. Yeah? That's what we don't like. <laughs> because what I seem to be suggesting is, is that actually there's retribution due and it's due to us. You think, well, I'm not sure I like the sound of this. Where's this going? This is where Christianity fundamentally differs from all other religions. All other religions, and I say this with the utmost respect, skirt around the edges with their sacrifices, offerings and efforts. And by their long lists of do's and don'ts, they betray the fact they either have not understood the moral perfection and holiness of God, or they have not understood our corruption, the seriousness of human corruption, the seriousness of our sin. And as a result, they do not provide a sufficient solution, one which will effectively bridge the gulf. And their ideas simply propagate the myth that if we try harder, we'll be okay. If we just try hard, that will be okay. The Bible teaches that the retribution due for our sin was aimed at Jesus Christ on the cross. That Jesus Christ willingly and voluntarily and deliberately came to die on the cross to receive the retribution from God the Father for our sins. That's what the Bible teaches. So that undeserving sinners, you and me, can receive forgiveness freely. The Bible teaches that it was Jesus Christ who didn't, did no sin on the cross was so ruined by sin that he became sin, the Bible says. He became sin on the cross. So it was like, and we're even told that the Father, his heavenly Father, turned his back, just abandoned him there, left it. Even the sky went dark for, th- for, for three hours, just supernaturally in the middle of the day. Just the darkness, he was utterly abandoned and the sins of the whole world were piled upon him, the Bible says. 
So this eternal one, this one who existed forever, this Jesus who existed for eternity but was born, became a man, took on, took on human flesh, came to be a atoning sacrifice for our sin. That's what the Bible teaches. So am I saying that Christians then are better than people from other religions? Is this, is this guy saying? No, I'm not. I may well be saying that they're worse. Because, they, because surely people from other religions don't need this kind of forgiveness. And they, they, they seem to be, by their own efforts, to be able to do it. I can't. There's no way. There's no way I could ever live a life that would be pleasing to a holy God who doesn't just see my actions but sees into my heart. No way. The Bible teaches that we are accountable eternally, that we will all have to stand before him and give an account for our lives. And so there's no way, there's no way any amount of turning over new leaves is going to work. It's not going to work. My sin is so bad that the Son of God had to die in my place. He faced what was coming my way and what would have destroyed me. He faced judgment, he faced curse, and he faced death in order to forgive me. So I could be cleansed and forgiven as a gift. So that God's anger, righteous anger, not losing temper anger, righteous holy anger, you know, like kind of we feel when, when a kid gets, like baby pee, you know, he gets abused and killed. Do that, what you feel inside of you, that's righteous anger. That God's righteous anger, the things we do, could be appeased. See, if God didn't deal with it, God would just be totally unjust. If God didn't give retribution for our sin, he'd be totally, it'd be outrageous. It'd be like a judge in the baby pee case saying to the, you know, the boyfriend and girlfriend, oh, go on, you're all right. Go on, it. Like, what are you talking about? Go and hop it. Oh, go and hop it. You come back. Let's get this thing straight. Yeah? And it'd be the same thing. So God in his justice is, no, we'll deal with sin. But if he dealt with it in us, you know what? We would just be judged and killed and that would be the end of us. So instead, God dealt with it in his son. Why? Here's why. When Jesus died, because he had no sin of his own, death couldn't hold on to him. The thing which gives death the authority to hold on to us when we die is that we've sinned. But he became sin on the cross, but it's our sin, not his. So he's, he's, he's dead, and death's got nothing on him. He can rise from the dead. Jesus is alive. So Jesus is fine now. <laughs> he's in heaven. He's ruling. He's reigning, exalted. Yeah. He, he's, he's alive. This is the big deal, the resurrection. I mean, it's massive. Just huge. He's, this is what declared him to be, actually, all that he claimed to be, the resurrection. Before the disciples saw he was born, he, he'd come back from the dead, they were just like, well, look, we thought he was, but he's just died. They were confused. He rose from the dead and suddenly the puzzle comes together. He's done it. And he's fine. And he's back with the Father. And now as we come to Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven because they've been paid for at the cross. And we can be completely forgiven and given a brand new heart and a brand new start. And we can have a relationship with God restored. The wall gets broken down by the cross. Which brings me on to the final point, which is the heart of reconciliation in the world is Jesus' broken body. This is how unity in Christ happens. This is beautiful. Listen to this. It's only the cross that enables us to move beyond integration. By that I mean simply living in the same street as people different from ourselves, people with ginger hair and stuff, okay? It's only the cross that enables us to move beyond integration and find true acceptance of one another. How? Here's how. Though we have differences, Jesus Christ, in his broken body, as he hung on the cross, was saying this, you're all the same. You're all the same. And that's why I'm here. You're all made in the image of God. You're all made to reflect God's glory. You're all fallen. You're all helpless. You're all, the, you're all in the same boat. 
When you realise that, you realise, man, alive, how can I judge other people when I'm... How can I ignore the guy saying the biggest issue? No, I might not want to buy it, but I'll look at him in the eye and say, no, thanks, mate. I'm just, we're just all the same. You see what's happened? Something's happened to you. Something's happened in your... You're fundamentally... You've seen it. Wow. Oh, that's me. Okay, I'm not just a victim, I'm a sinner, but, but I've been forgiven, I've received mercy. And your, your head goes up, you restore to God, but you've got a sober view of who you really are now. You're able to extend to others, not just because you're, oh, you're a nice guy, you're religious now. No, you've received mercy. And you've realised, wow, look, look what I was like. But God has accepted me, God gave his son to die for me while I was so like that and doing my own thing and away from him. Man, I want to extend to others. You see, it's an outworking of what you receive through the gospel. The cross takes us beyond just tolerating so that we can love others. So when others wrong us, we can forgive them. Why? Here's why. Because we've been forgiven. Yeah? If you've received forgiveness, you can give it. If you know you've actually received it, not just in theory, but in your heart, you can give forgiveness. If you've never come to that point when you've seen your own need for forgiveness, you know what you're going to do? You're constantly just going to be beefing about other people's wrongs against you. That's what you'll be doing all the time, moaning and griping and getting bitter about other people's wrongs. Listen, listen, here's the deal. You've sinned against God. That's the starting point. From there we move on to forgiveness of others, absolutely, but that's the starting point. You need to receive forgiveness. The cross takes us beyond political correctness where we make sure we don't say the wrong thing but deep in our hearts still think it. Um, to the place where we can develop a culture of the kingdom of heaven, where we really love and just, we see it, we just see that we're all, we're all the same. So we come together at the foot of the cross, recognising that we're fundamentally the same. There's no room for pointing the finger, there's no room for bullying, there's no room for separating and judging. We fall into one of two categories, we're either outside of Christ, and therefore still under the righteous wrath of God, or we are in Christ, and therefore under the mercy and grace of God. Those who have received Christ do not judge or look down on those who aren't, but can't help themselves telling those people there's a party going on and everyone's invited. This forgiveness is an open offer to all. It's an open offer. Jesus said, no one who comes to me will I turn away. It's not, it's not for religious types. There is such a thing. It's for everyone because we all need this forgiveness, this salvation. This is Jesus. This is the cross. This is where forgiveness and reconciliation with God are found. The whole solution is found in him. We acknowledge that we're the problem, that the death and the resurrection of Jesus is God's solution, and that new life in him is not just personally transforming, but as it works itself out, becomes world-transforming. We c- I'm all for political ideas to make things better. I'm for it. I applaud everything that's done to make things better. But I know in my heart, unless people's hearts are changed, nothing's going to change. And only the cross can change hearts because the cross is where God dealt with the problem of our heart, which is the, the, the government of sin. The power of sin is broken at the cross. The power of death is broken at the cross. So we can receive new life, eternal life in God. We're going to break bread and drink the wine in a minute. Now, the reason we do this um, is that before Jesus went to the cross, he had a meal with his disciples and he broke it and he said, when you meet, do this to remember my body broken for you. So it just, it's our way of just remembering, Jesus, the reason I can have this new life, enjoy this clean conscience, know this forget. I'll tell you what, 
When you know Jesus, the forgiveness, it's not just a theory, you, it, you know it. <laughs> you have a relationship with God, it's experiential. And so you break the bread and you just say, Jesus, my entire hope is in you. Who died and rose again for me. And then we drink the wine to remember his blood spilt for us. It sounds kind of gory. I know, <laughs> it does. It sounds kind of like, man, alive. What, what, what's this about? Well, we, all through the Old Testament, they were killing animals, offering sacrifices and lambs. Why were they doing that? It was all pointing towards the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. And um, at the end of the day, um, sin requires judgment, and judgment is blood, it's life. Jesus poured out his life for us. In the Bible, blood represents life. And so we drink the wine saying, Jesus, your life. Your life is my life. My life is your life. It's about intimacy with Jesus Christ. If you're a believer here today, as we sing this next song, I want to ask you to just come up during the song, at any point you're comfortable, take some bread, take some wine, and just say, Jesus, I'm all about you. I'm all about you. If you're a believer and you've been kind of, I would just say this, that you've, just not, you've been kind of living a, living a life that really, you know, it's not consistent with what you say you believe. There's been some hypocrisy going on then you need to just get right with God before you take the bread and the wine. This is a serious thing. It's not just like a little, oh, this is fun. No, it's very serious. Very awesome, awesome. So just get right with God. And just, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he'll cleanse us, he'll wash us, he'll forgive us. If you're not a believer, I want to just say this to you. Or you're not sure, what you be, you're not sure where you're at. But you, you've just, your heart's been touched tonight. You've seen it. Maybe you've never seen it before. Maybe it never made sense before tonight. But tonight you said, wow, I see it now. You thinking, is, that, is it that simple? Yeah, what's happened is God's opened your eyes. He's pulled back the curtain. You've seen it. Come and take the bread and the wine because you want to follow Jesus. Come, you know, come. This is an open offer. It's a free... You know, what have I got to do? It's been done. Yeah, it's been done. It's a gift. It's been done. Jesus worked for it. Really, just God requires us to just run to him, just to turn from our sin and from ourself and to come to him. Yeah, so you feel free. If that's you, you're thinking, yeah, man, I want to... You bet, I want this forgiveness, I want this eternal life. Come and take the bread and the wine. We'd love to pray with you at some point, encourage you, give you a Bible or something. If you're thinking, I'm just not sure I'm there yet, or I know I'm not there yet, just leave the bread and the wine. Just don't come and take it. Okay, Jesus loves you guys. Jesus loves you guys. Jesus loves you. Jesus is amazing. (laughs) I want to pray and then we'll get the band up. Lord, we do love you because you loved us first. You loved us first. Who, who, Who would die for who would, I mean, you know, who would die for people like us? But you did. You laid your life down. For us, even when all we've really done is done our own thing and gone against you. Just remarkable love. Remarkable sacrifice. And we just want you to know we love you, Lord. And uh, I want to just pray for all my friends here tonight, Lord, and all in, probably in different places. And I just pray, Lord, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you just open up the eyes of their hearts and just show them how good you are? As I'm praying, I just believe there's maybe one or two here and you're not a believer, but the thing, the, the thing is you're thinking, does, does it work? You know, will God really forgive me? Well, you know, I can say yes because the Bible says, I can also say yes because 17 years ago when I was 18 years old, I gave my life to Jesus and boy, does it work. I mean, honestly, unbelievable, but true. <laughs> but just staggering the change, staggering the ongoing, fundamental, just transformation, just mercy and grace every day. It's not, not saying that life's a breeze at all, but man, this really works. This is, this is amazing power in this gospel. So please, 
You know, don't, don't believe that lie, you know, that it won't work for you or that, you know, you're somehow disqualified. No, this, this love of Christ reaches, reaches to everyone. So, Lord, we love you and um, just, we just want to bless you. Amen. Amen.